Thank you, thank you. It is a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, if I've not had the opportunity of saying hello to you before, forgive me. Normally, I'm based at the 10.30 meeting, but today, you guys get to hang out with me as we look at God's Word together. You up for that? Come on now. I really hope you are because, um, listen, I honestly believe that God has got some things to say to you. Now, I don't know whether you follow the accounts online, so across social media, called Very British Problems. Anyone ever come across it? And it kind of states these things. It always makes me laugh a little bit. I thought I'd share a few with you. And so, uh, for example, for a very British problem, it's impossible to end a taxi journey without saying, anywhere here's fine. Anyone else? Anyone else do that? Um, it's impossible to drag the wheelie bin back inside without having a little peek inside first. Anyone admit to that one? Uh, it, it's uh, impossible to end, uh, sorry, excuse me, to place items on a shop counter without saying, just these, please. You do that as well? Um, all right, here's, here's, here's one which I particularly agree with, indicating that you want the last roast potato without first trying to force it on everybody else. Anyone else do that? Uh, there's that, there's two, two more, which are particularly prevalent for us right now. Uh, waiting for permission to leave after paying for something with the exact change. Anyone else do that? It's like, just count it. I'm just going to, you know, before I head off. And then uh, being unable to ask for that £20 back that you, you've lent your friend. Anyone else have that problem? Well, the last two particularly stood out to me because it makes me realize that actually us Brits aren't particularly good with money. Right? I actually started looking into this, or specifically talking about money. There was a Klarna study of 2,000 people that suggested one in three Brits felt too uncomfortable to talk about money issues at all, even with their partners. One in three, it's remarkable. And uh, then Totally Money did a survey, and it said 92% of people are uncomfortable about asking to borrow money from others. 87% said they'd be uncomfortable with someone asking how much they earn. And 82% said they are uncomfortable splitting the bill equally in restaurants. So listen, let me make this really simple. If you and I go out for dinner, you can pay. <laughs> it's totally fine. Now, for Brits, finances might be a taboo subject, okay? But let me tell you something. Jesus wasn't white, and he certainly wasn't British. And he had an awful lot to say about finance, an awful lot of say to say about money. Now, I love the fact that we've got this beautifully diverse church of so many different people from so many different backgrounds. And the reality is that everyone's going to have a different take on this. But Jesus wants to cut to the heart and recognize the fact that for every single one of us, finance is attached to where our hearts are. So I'm going to trust as we jump into 2 Corinthians that he really does want to speak to our hearts, both about the generosity with which you live and not just about how to split a bill at the end of a restaurant meal, okay? So grab your Bibles. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read through verses 1 to 5. But just to say by way of context, this is one of two letters that are recorded that the Apostle Paul sent to a church in Corinth, which is in southern Greece. But what this passage does is it actually talks about another church. And he's using this church at a place called Macedonia, the Macedonian church. And he's doing it to cause that, that church to be an inspiration or an example to those he's writing to in Corinth. Okay? So listen, before we read this verse, let me pray for us real quick. And then uh, let's dive into the text. Father God, I'm grateful to be here. And more than that, God, I'm grateful for your word. And your desire, Lord, to speak to every single person here across this room and every single person who's tuning in right now online. And I want to pray, God, that you would move in our hearts and you would move us to be a generous, compassionate people who want to follow you and all that you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. Listen, one quick caveat. 
And that's this. If you are new here, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you've been dragged along for some reason or another. Let me tell you, God does not need and God does not want your money. But I hope and I pray that today you realize that God wants your heart. Let's read this text. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 5 says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in their service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. First thing we can draw from this inspirational church in Macedonia is that their generosity overcame their circumstances. I don't know whether you spotted it in the same way as I did in verse 2, but it talks about them being in the midst of a very severe trial. But then their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So honestly, my first reflection was, how can you get such contradictory terms fitting together in one single verse? That seems a little bit bizarre, right? And so, you know, you've got the fact that there's the, in the midst of this severe trial, and there's extreme poverty. That sounds pretty bleak. And so imagine for a moment, I kind of take you back to my school days at Kimberley Comprehensive School, just outside of Nottingham. And uh, we go back into Mr. Lambra's science lessons. And we're looking at the, uh, the test tube that he's got out in front of him. He's wearing his long white coat and his, his fancy goggles. And we're about to do an experiment. Now, what he pushes down into that test tube, first of all, we're going to push down some severe trial, right? We're going to get some severe trial in there. It's going to be a pretty bleak situation. And not just is it a, 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 a severe trial, but they're right in the midst of a severe trial. And then on top of that, we're going to throw extreme poverty. And you're thinking, this is going nowhere, right? This is a bleak and desperate situation. But see what it says. They put in just a drop of overflowing joy. And it's like the whole thing takes off. Imagine the experiment as the welling up of rich generosity happens. And here's what I've been thinking about in terms of this passage. Giving isn't the luxury of the rich, but it's the privilege of the poor. Every single one of us gets to play our parts. And so as I've been thinking about this, I've been realizing that I've seen this happen in my life. A few years ago, I had the privilege over three different years of going to Russia and uh, I got to speak at a conference that was serving upwards of 50 churches across the whole of a region. And, uh, you know, 200 plus people there. And uh, this is a picture of me in the Red Square in Moscow. And uh, I love being there. And honestly, I love the Russian people. Also, being honest, I really didn't like the Russian food. It's slightly awkward, but everything was just boiled. So there was just, you know, there was, there was boiled vegetables and there was boiled potatoes and there was boiled chicken. And, and listen, I'll be honest, I'm not brilliant with food at the best of times. I'm the sort of person, I don't know whether any parents can relate, who eats just enough vegetables so I can, with all credibility, tell my kids they have to eat theirs. All right? That's just, it's just the way it is. But on this particular trip, I found the food pretty difficult. Um, but then there was this moment, right? There was this moment when they brought out these pastries. And I'm thinking, praise Jesus, you live and you respond to prayer. And they brought these pastries. They put them in the center of the table. And I'm thinking to myself, not only am I going to have several of these, but I'm going to put some in my bag. And this is going to get me through the rest of my week, right? So I grab hold of one of these pastries after the boiled dinner that we just had. And I bit into it. You know what was inside? Boiled cabbage. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Boiled cabbage inside a pastry. And you know those awkward moments when you're in someone else's world and, and, and everyone's looking at you, smiling at me, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm having to eat this whole of this thing. I can't stand cabbage. 
But I had to eat the whole thing. Anyway, that was my first memory of Russia. Second memory was meeting this guy. This guy was called Oleg. He's the big one right at the center of the picture. Okay? Now, Oleg, uh, it was really interesting to get to meet him because of the fact that I saw a bunch of kids charge up to him and uh, take him a phone book. This is a really unusual thing. And he got hold of this phone book, and his party trick was that he could rip it in two with his hands. I kid you not, this guy was so strong. And uh, I said, anyway, I got to, to find out a little bit about him, and Oleg had been part of the Russian Mafia. Okay? And uh, this guy is now a pastor in a church. And I, I was able to ask him, like, you know, so what, what was it changed? He said, well, I knew that Jesus had changed my life because of the fact that I stopped wanting to kill people. <laughs> like, I, le- I left a lasting impression. You can imagine a guy who can rip a phone book in half with his hands and the significance of what that meant. And then the third person that I always remember is this guy who's behind me now. His name was Mikhail. Now, Mikhail also came from a very dark and dangerous background, and uh, he um, was in a really difficult situation, a major criminal in a place called Kamchatka. But God came and changed his life, turned him into a missionary, turned him into an evangelist, turned him into a pastor. Now, what was interesting, though, is I got to find out about how he loved on people and connected with the, the people that he did around his church, is that he honestly, guys, was dirt poor. And it was, it was born out because of the fact that every single day across the entirety of the seven days I was with him, he wore exactly the same clothes, same trousers, same T-shirt, same jumper. But at the end of the conference, as we were all saying farewell, he came up to me, and he came up to the intern who was with me, and um, he took off his uh, watch from his wrist, and he put it on my friend Ben. And then he took off the chain from around his neck, and he gave it to me. And you know, it's moments like that that you realize even though he had nothing, he still wanted to give because he had this joy inside of him. Okay? And what I'm realizing is that it's very humbling to receive gifts from people who are in far greater need than you. But you know what's fascinating is that not, they're not pretending that sacrifice makes them happy. It really does. There was a genuine sense of joy in Mikhail as he was able to just bless us to be like, I want to give you the very best of what I have. And it's so countercultural. These Macedonians, I think in a time of trial, would have been expected to back off, would have expected to be like, oh, do you know what, we can't contribute in this point. But that's not what they did. They actually contributed in the most liberal of ways. Now, the key to was working out how they did it was in that verse where it said that it was the joy, the joy that stirred them to contribute like this. Okay? So I would say, how is your joy? Right? Because I want to say, I am filled with joy. I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Do you know, the other services were better at saying where at that point. You failed me. (laughs) There are three places I would suggest that you can look to get joy, okay? You can look back, you can look around, and you can look forward. This last week, we had a staff meeting, and uh, the, the opportunities, we went around the circle, and we just say, hey, look, let's take five minutes to get to know one another. Everyone can have five minutes to share a little bit about, tell us about your journey. How did you come to become a Christian? And, uh, and then what, why do you work in, in, in this place? What, what's your kind of passion to do that? And it was a moment where we got to just reflect and to think back and to, and to connect with each other a little bit better. And I was able to remind myself of, of how dark a place I felt like I was as, as a 24-year-old, of how addicted to pornography I was and how lonely I felt, of how without purpose I was and how I was just living for the weekends and for sport and for the approval I could get of, of, of women and, and in a huge amount of debt, actually. And I felt lost and I felt broken. And I was able to remind myself to celebrate God has been so faithful. And I was able to remind myself of realizing, why why do I work for this church? Why do I have such a passion for seeing people come to know Jesus? Well, about nine months after I became a Christian, I started leading my first Alpha courses in my house. 
And uh, we would get a bunch of people in the lounge and, you know, we just wanted to talk about Jesus. So I gave people the opportunity of, 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 of watching some videos. And I remember the night came when we had the opportunity of, of, of sharing with them and saying, hey, look, would you, would you want to respond to Jesus? Do you want to make him your Lord and Savior? And I was freaking out, guys. I was paranoid because of the fact that I was worried that what if I pray this prayer wrong, right? Maybe their eternal destiny is all down to the words I use right now. Now, trust me, I've, I've, I've let that go and I realize that's not the case. But I was freaking out. I was so nervous. And I remember having this kind of conversation with them and being like, hey, look, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes for a minute and I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you want to respond to this prayer, you can raise your hand. And you know what all five of them did? I remember going upstairs, not just into the upstairs. My, my housemate at the time uh, was up in the loft. And I remember going with Matt and just weeping and thinking, this is why I exist. This is why God made me. You know, all of us can do that. All of us can look back through our lives and work out, why am I here? What have you done? Where's the faithfulness that you've demonstrated to me? And we can celebrate that. Listen, if you can't do that, I would encourage you to go back a little bit further. Go back maybe 2,000 years. And go back to Gethsemane. Go back to the place of the school where Jesus died on a cross for you. Go back to the empty tomb. And if that doesn't make you joyful, let's go out for dinner and this time I will pay. Okay? <laughs> The other thing we can do, you know, is look around us. It's really important to find joy around us because God is on the move. I know uh, this last couple of weeks, I've been so inspired by what's going on in a place called uh, Asbury in Kentucky. You guys come across this. You might have seen some things on social media. It's super cool. And uh, there's basically it's a, a small university town. There's around about 3,000 people there. And, um, but about two and a half weeks ago, there was a, a, a guy who, who preached a message, got down and sat down and sent his wife a message. And the message said something like, oh, I preached another duffer, can't wait to see you. <laughs> But what happened was that a few of the students came forward and knelt down to want to respond to Christ and to want to start uh, repenting of their sin, confessing their sin. That prayer meeting carried on through the night into the next morning, and then it carried on through the day and through the night into the next morning. And two and a half weeks later, having had all this time of tens of thousands of people rocking on Nasbury, this very small town. They've only just made the decision. They're going to change things around and not necessarily have this permanent prayer meeting. Friends, let me tell you, I, I, I lead the location at the university and I long for God to move. I long for God to move in that place. And I long for us to see a move of God. And do you know what? Some people are asking this question, like, oh, how do we know it's really God? Honestly, I'm seeing people just come forward, like tens of thousands of people who are coming just to connect with him, to worship him, to adore him. And what's beautiful about it is there's no major name or evangelist right in the center there who's, who's doing power ministry. It's just about Jesus. And that's been a precious thing. And I love the fact that it started to spill out to other places. There were other um, uh, churches, there were other university campuses which suddenly started to have these kind of all-night prayer meetings as well across denominations. And I just trust that God is on the move. We can be joyful about these things. I don't feel like you guys are nearly as joyful enough. But let's keep going for a minute, right? Let me, let me tell you one much closer to home and see if this will make you, make you encouraged, okay? I, uh, last week, was chatting to a guy who was on our present Alpha course, okay? And uh, he was, I just asked the question, like, well, what was it that made you come along? And uh, he had said to me, he's like, actually, my dogs were really poorly, which is a bit of a weird way of starting a conversation like that. But this is what happened. And uh, so my dogs were really poorly. They had, had cancer in their body, and they had to have a number of, of lumps kind of chopped out of them. Really awkward. Two dogs. And um, he'd gone off to the vet, and the vet had said, look, this is, this is not good enough for them to do it anymore. We actually need to put the dogs down. He's devastated, but he makes the appointment to have them put down. In the meantime, he goes home, goes to sleep, and in a dream, has a vision of God wrapping his hands around these two dogs, saying the dogs are going to be okay. Right. 
So he wakes up from this dream, doesn't think anything kind of of it particularly, just an unusual situation, goes back to the vets. The vet says, the dogs are fine, they don't need to be put down. Very cool. He then speaks to a friend who's recently in this last six months or so started to come, come to church and uh, comes along to Alpha. Can I just really excitedly tell you that in the last week he's come to Christ? And um, <laughs> can, I, can I get even more excited that with permission, he's actually in this room right now, which I'm just like, so encouraged by. I just love that, right? <laughs> you know, friends, we can... We love you, man. We, uh, we can find joy with what God's doing around us. It's so cool. I love it. And it's, honestly, it wakes me up and it gets me excited. Listen, if you're still struggling for where do I find my joy, joy that might move us to generosity, we can also look forward. Because I've read the end of the book and it says that God himself will be with us, wiping away every tear from my eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There will be no more pain. And when he will make everything new. Friends, we have reason to be joyful, just as the Macedonian church did. What's interesting is if we go back to the text, it says, They had generosity over and above their ability to be generous. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I was thinking to myself, how does that work? How do you give beyond your ability to be generous? But again, I was reminded of something of my story you know, if you were, uh, six years ago was the last time that I kind of shared this story. So if you've been around six years and you can remember that far back, then just be encouraged to hear it again. But for the rest of you, let me tell you, you know, when I became a Christian, I had made some really stupid mistakes with my finances. I was in a huge amount of personal debt, but honestly, I was ignorant of the whole thing. Wanted to push it to one side, forget about it, keep my head in the sand and be nervous about it. But God had genuinely changed my life and I wanted to contribute. And so I'm thinking when that basket comes round, I'm going to go big. I'm going to put a note in. I know. It was like 20 pounds. And I, I even felt to myself, do you know what? I'm going I'm I'm to do it so everyone can see because now I've joined the club. 20 pounds. Here we go. In it goes. Boom. Kind of expecting a round of applause. Didn't happen. <laughs> Why what what I didn't realize, because there was a guy a little bit later who um, had spoken to me about the fact that, look, hey, do you know what? In this church, actually, many of us actually kind of give, uh, we give just as God's called us to in secret. But we, so we give by direct debit and standing order. And when we, we would encourage you to, to have a, a basis of your giving of 10% of your first fruits of what God gives you. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what now? 10%? That's crazy. How would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. But I wanted to respond to that. I realized that I wanted to be a contributor. I didn't want to be someone who just came and, and, and bounced off someone else. So I, I wanted to start somewhere. And so I set up a direct debit. I didn't get any fanfare or anything. I just set up a direct debit in secret for 50 pounds a month. And, uh, and then a little while later, I was able to increase it to 100 a little bit a while later. And, and God's been very kind to us over the years to be sewing back in above and beyond what we thought we would ever be able to. But in the midst of this, you've got to bear in mind that I was in a huge amount of personal debt, keeping my head down underneath the sand. But two people had seen me on one particular afternoon and we were in a church meeting, and they picked me out and didn't know anything of my situation. No one really did. And they said, God wants you to be free of the debt and the bondage of what you have caught yourself in. And he says, I'm going to give you the wisdom to get out of it. Now, the reason that these images are showing behind me is that I was like, okay, I need to take this seriously. Now, I didn't even know my situation until I started walking through, and I said, okay, I'm going to put all my credit cards. I'm going to put my personal loan. I'm going to put my overdraft. I'm going to put my, uh, the money that I've lent from parents and so on and so forth all into one spreadsheet. And I got down the end and I was, I was sickened by the fact that I was over 10,500 pounds in personal debt. 
felt embarrassed, I felt ashamed. I didn't honestly know what to do. This is additionally to student debt that I also had. And the problem was that I'd been a Christian for a couple of years at this point, and I was ashamed of it because of the fact I was like, I'm not being responsible. I'm not being an honest steward, a good steward of the money that God's given me, but I couldn't do anything about it. Every month I was just doing enough to stay above the interest that I was paying on the credit cards. But I decided... And this is what you can see, a screenshot of where I wrote it in the spreadsheet. I decided that I was going to, every single week, just keep track of where I was going to be. Keep, keep track of things. Don't go to that one just yet, mate. Um, I was going to keep track of, of where I was going to be and keep on top of it. And I, I put a goal in that. I said, by the 1st of the 1st, 2008, I want to be debt-free. This was only like six or seven months later, £10,500. And I uh, was encouraged to go and have a conversation with my small group. Right? And so I, I sat down with them. I was bawling my eyes out. I'm sorry. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. And honestly, no one got their checkbook out. <laughs> I was thinking, come on. I thought this was maybe why we help each other. But I don't know. What they did do, actually, which was equally powerful, I kid you not, was that they loved me. And they put their hands on me and they prayed for me and they said, we love you no matter what situation you've been in. And that was so releasing and freeing. And every week I would start to kind of put these things in place. And you know what? God was so kind the course of that next six or seven months. And because I was working part-time for myself, people would, as a web designer, people would uh, come to me and be like, hey, do you know what, is it, is it possible that uh, we, we want you to build a website, but can we possibly pay you now, even though you build it next year? I was like, sure, that would be amazing. You know? And there was someone else who, who would come out of the blue and say, is it possible that we could pay you up front for the next two years of maintenance? And I was like, yeah, amazing. And all of these little things just started to happen, not in, in one big sweep, but all these little things started to happen. You know, that year... I gave more than I've ever given up to that point in my life. I contributed to a Vision Sunday. As you know, we've got two of them coming up these next two weeks. I was able to buy an engagement ring for my now wife. I was able to go on an international ministry trip. And do you know the crazy thing? And this is where you can show the next image. Is the very first day that when you added up every credit card and every account and every savings account, the very first day that I was in the black when I added everything up to the bottom was the first of the first, 2008. And God had done a crazy miracle. You know, I say that because I want you guys to be free as well. And I want you to be free to be generous and free of any shame that people have been put under. You see, because when we trust God with our money and we follow his commands about money, I believe that he's called us to demonstrate a generous heart. Now, next week when we do come forward and we give ourselves to, to the vision offering that we're going to put forward, right away across the room, there will be different amounts of money given, but there'll be an equal sacrifice, I trust, across all of us as we allow God to speak to our hearts. Now, a couple of other things from this passage, and then we're going to come into a land and do some ministry, guys. Second thing, or the next thing, excuse me, that we're going to look at is the fact that it says they had generosity from freedom, okay? Because they each gave of their own free will. That's what it says in the NLT version of this. It says they were under no pressure, and they did it um, by their own free will, entirely of their own. You know, the very first time I ever heard us about us doing a, uh, doing a gift day, I remember Simon standing up, right? And he stood up in front of people, and he said, friends... If you do not want to give, don't give. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy is a loon. What are we going to do? We're trying to buy a building here. This is impossible. But he said it consistently over many years. If you don't want to give, don't give. Because God actually is after a heart and he wants a cheerful giver. And there is no compulsion. There is no manipulation. This is, this is us inviting people to say, what would you like to do? Because honestly, I trust God, and God will provide for all that he wants to do. But what I love 
is the fact that I can look around and think, look what he has done. And actually, it's not even just about the building, but it's about the lives that have been changed in this building and the lives that go out into our tower and across our nation to go and shape and bring God's kingdom every single place that they have been put. The way I think about it now, you see, is a little bit like when my, uh, when my kids wash the car with me. Yeah? And so, honestly, they think they're doing a lot. <laughs> they think, they think but that they are helping, but they're actually making it worse, right? <laughs> but I love the fact, I love the fact that they're involved. I love the fact that they're getting involved. They get more water on their clothes than ever they do on the car. You know, it's far more streaked and messy than ever it was previously. I think it's the same with us. I think God just loves the fact that we're involved, and it's in that place that he multiplies that, that we bring. This Macedonian church, you know, was pleading for the privilege. You ever thought about what that's like? They were urgently pleading for the privilege of sharing in this service. I don't know whether you consider giving a privilege or not. I've, I've become, begun to make, uh, think about it as a privilege. And the way I've done that is by playing the I did that game. I don't know if you ever thought about this, okay? But uh, I often think about the seat, the very chair that the person who got saved and responded to Jesus was sat in. And I think to myself, I paid for that chair. I think about the, uh, the, the signage that directed that new family in and think to myself, I paid for that signage. Let me give you a real example, all right? So two weeks ago, we had the privilege, uh, me and my wife and a couple of others in the church, of sitting down with our youth group. There's 40-odd young people there, right? And we were asked to come and do a Q&A all about sex, right? It might seem unusual to you, but what we realize is that the whole of society and the whole of Hollywood is screaming about sex. They're shouting a, a, a message. And the reality is that we as a church need to talk about some of these things as well. And maybe gives God's perspective on some of the things that are different from what they might hear in certain lessons or what they might hear in the schoolyard. So think back to it for a moment. You see, I, get, I got the privilege, it might have been very small, but of paying for the batteries that made the microphone work. I was able to be in a position that said, I, I contributed toward the heating that afternoon. I contributed toward the, the football goals and toward the, the, the um, pallets, uh, the, the, what are they called? Things that you play table tennis with. Paddles. Pallets. Paddles. I got to contribute to that. I did that. But it's far more about, about the lives that are being touched by it. Do you know what? If you give into this church to some degree or another, you did that as well. And so think about it. Think through the lens of what have you done to be able to contribute in this community? Because actually, you will be able to be stirred by it. Even the very fact that we're paying for lighting right now, or we're playing for fire extinguishers to make sure that we are safe. And I want to say thank you for the way that you've contributed to that, just as it encourages me. Here's the reality, friends. I have never regretted giving. I've never regretted it. I've regretted so many duff purchases in my life, so many things that I've been like, why did I spend all that money on it? I've never regretted giving. There was once a distraught man who rode his horse up to John Wesley in the 18th century uh, theologian. And he shouted, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. Wesley uh, weighed the news and then calmly replied, no, the Lord's house has burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. <laughs> now, it's interesting because Wesley's reaction actually wasn't denial. Rather, it was his bold affirmation of the reality of God being the owner of all things. And we are simply his stewards. Let me close like this, okay? Let me tie these verses together. Verse 1, it talked about the special grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. It's from God's grace that then we see verse 5. It says, They gave themselves first of all to the Lord 
and then by the will of God also to us. First of all to the Lord, and then to us. You see, our giving and our generosity is a reflective response to the grace of God that's been poured out in our lives. It doesn't actually come out of altruism. It doesn't come out of philanthropy. It comes out of the transforming work of Christ in us. Bottom line, strip it all back. We give because he first gave to us. Now, in a moment, I'm going to call people who may have never done this before to make that first part true, to give yourself first to the Lord. Because ultimately, that's where it all starts. That's where the privilege of being in a relationship that you were made for. And there's going to be people around this room who have never given their lives to Jesus and want to know what it means to be forgiven, want to know what it means to be adopted into God's family, want to know what it means to be empowered to transform your world and bring his kingdom. So in a moment, I'm actually going to pray for you. But let me say before I get there, there was a, a time in my life when I had to sit down, just after becoming a Christian, with a, with a church leader called Steve LePage. Now, he was someone who I connected with by going to a little church in town called Rutland Road. And uh, I was, what I was doing was I was going to the King's Arms in the evening. I was going to Rutland Road in the morning. And he took a real brave decision. And uh, he sat me down and he said, Steve, I love you. I'm for you. I want you connected in the, into this church. But the reality is you need to make a decision. You need to work out where are you committed are you committed to the Rutland Road? Are you committed to the King's Arms? Because ultimately, you can only give to one place. You can only serve in one place. You're only going to invite people to one place. Which is it for you? And we prayerfully thought about it. And I, and I knew that the King's Arms was going to be my home. And I've been here ever since. And I love and I, I'm privileged to be part of this church community. But I do want to say the same thing to you. There was a guy who came to me on Wednesday. He was super nervous. And he said to me, Steve, I, I actually, I, I love the King's Arms and he was kind of slightly on the fringe. I love the King's Arms. I really love you, but I don't think that the King's Arms is for us. And we're actually going to connect with another church in the town. He was super nervous. But I was able to say to him, mate, I love you. And that is a good thing. Go there. Be all you can be because we are on the same team. And honestly, I would much rather he and every single one of you found somewhere that you can be truly committed than ever you just sit on the fringe, disconnected at the back somewhere. What I want to have, guys in the same way as I believe Jesus is saying, is he, is he calling you here? And I want to release you. that if, if there's a better church for you where you can fully commit, be released to go and find it. But if you're here, be here. Be committed with us. Get part of a group. Work out how you're going to contribute in serving. Friends, play your part in terms of contributing financially. It makes a massive difference, and it will enable us to do so much more as God wills it. So listen, let's take a moment for pray, to pray. Friends, I, I would love for us to just create space for a minute for those people who know right now they've not ever given their lives to Christ. So whether you're watching online, whether you're right here in the meeting with us, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if that's you, if you want to make a decision to say, today's the day, I want to respond to Jesus and ask him to be my Lord and Savior, then you can pray this prayer with me while every eye across the room is closed and every head is bowed. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came for me. And I thank you, God, that today you've given me the courage to turn away from my sin and put my trust in you. I thank you that you died on the cross for me in my place and for my sin. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in, to guide me, to lead me, and to have your way in my life. In Jesus' name. 
Now listen, while every eye remains closed and every head remains bowed, if you prayed that prayer right now, I'd love for you to raise a hand so I know this is a significant morning for you. Thanks, guys. So around the room, just put your hand up if that's the moment for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. For those people who are responding right now, I just pray, bless them. God, I have your mighty hand upon them. God, would they uh, know the joy and the adventure of following you closely, step by step, every single day. God, may it be the case that is the grace of their life. May they be knitted well, birthed well into our church community. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.